You're listening to Spice Radio's The Morning Buzz, and we are now speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is, is it time we consider geoengineering more seriously as a solution for climate change? Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Great to be here. Good morning. So, Margareta, please explain what geoengineering entails and why it is sometimes controversial. Controversial indeed. And maybe the first place my mind goes to is that popular idea in science fiction of one day making Mars habitable through terraforming, uh, modifying it essentially to provide an atmosphere that can support human life. And uh, for anyone that follows the news, you probably will have heard of uh, Elon Musk's uh, exploration efforts to get to Mars. Uh, making it habitable is an entirely different uh, set of propositions, but uh, maybe not entirely uh, outside of the realm of what's possible, uh, because it naturally begs this essential question. If we have a desire to wield that kind of scientific expertise and power on a planet that isn't our own, if we think we can do it even, surely we can contemplate that same thing for planet Earth, or at the very least start out by fixing our problems here. And we have some big problems to solve Climate change, of course, is one of them, uh, probably the one that presents the most imminent uh, risks to overall ecological well-being. And that's not just humans, but that's every species on Earth and plants and so many other things that are going on that uh, make this planet home. Uh, But other issues are things like the plastics pollution crisis. Uh, It's causing so many problems, and uh, I'm sure it'll be one of the other things we need to put our collective mind power to in short order, um, as is the need to circularize our overall use of natural resources. Uh, And by that, I really just mean not continually pulling things out, out, out uh, of the earth, like minerals and metals, uh, although that's essentially what we have to do right now, but more efficiently recycling and reusing the things that we extract. That requires a total overhaul of how materials and products are made. We're so, so far from recycling in a sustainable manner. Uh, I, I would basically describe the recycling programs that you and I are familiar with today, uh, you know, bottle recycling, uh, bottle depots. Uh, this large-scale pilot projects. Many of the products that go through those channels uh, still end up being landfilled. So there's so much work ahead. Uh, but, you know, back to geoengineering. In short, life on Earth is supported by a very... It's a beautiful, it's a complex set of interlocking systems, uh, chemistry, geology, biology, physics. Uh, they all explain bits and pieces. But, of course, our knowledge of the vast majority of these systems is still nascent. We're, you know, kids with crayons. And uh, uh, at the same time, we have never interfered with them to such an extent. Every day we're doing things that affect these systems, uh, often not knowing what we're actually uh, accomplishing. Um, so when we talk about geoengineering, it's, it's not just efforts to reverse or restore uh, some of the damage that has been done by humans growing an entire civilization uh, in very short order. But uh, it's also um, things that we can be doing to um, uh, consider how we're actively doing it right now, because that is a form of geoengineering. And I guess in the conventional sense, uh, about a decade ago, uh, the Haida Salmon Restoration Project, just off the coast of Haida Gwaii, uh, up here in B.C., engage in something called ocean fertilization. They introduced uh, iron dust um, particles and other micronutrients into strategically selected eddies. These are pockets of currents. Uh, and they, they go in a, in a direction you can sort of predict. And uh, uh, in this case, it caused a major plankton bloom visible all the way from space. And uh, it was followed by one of the most abundant salmon runs in recent memory in that watershed. Um, so in essence, that experiment succeeded. And Really, it's just like fertilizer on land. 
Uh, it provides readily available elements whose scarcity limits the growth of light. Um, but in that case, the scientific community wasn't exactly thrilled. They felt that the groundwork uh, still needed to be uh, laid down and that essential facts uh, still needed to be answered. But, of course, there was a successful removal of big chunks of CO2 from the atmosphere resulting from that project. And I think that certainly hints at a promising possibility here for solutions to climate change. Now, climate change is only becoming more evident. At what point do we need to start looking more seriously at new solutions for climate change? That point certainly feels like now. Uh, It was uh, just another sweltering day in Metro Vancouver yesterday. I was walking over from the SkyTrain in Port Moody in the late afternoon sun, and I felt like I was hanging out under a hair dryer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, I'm from Vancouver. I've lived here my whole life, and boy, that is not a good feeling. Uh, Certainly not commonplace, and this summer has had so many hot days like that. Uh, Just last month on my uh, family vacation to Scotland, I saw so much scorched grass. I was wondering, "Mm, is it supposed to be that color? Um, And of course, you know, that comes down to the extreme weather phenomenon they've been seeing there as well. And don't even get me started on the polar bears, or I might get really, really sad. Um, But really what this all comes down to is something called the Keeling Curve. Um, Many people are calling it the Great Hockey Stick Curve. Uh, It tracks the carbon parts per million in the atmosphere. And since the dawn of the industrial world, when we started pumping massive amounts of uh, carbon into the atmosphere, um, it's been sharply, sharply curving upwards. Uh, And that's the thing that's causing climate change. Not just things getting hotter and warmer, but uh, more unpredictable extreme weather events and so much more. So I think at this point, um, the removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere uh, is critical. And there's only so many trees you can plant. Uh, it's, of course, it's an important part, the land use component, what we do, agriculture, certain types of grazing land can be very key to this. Um, but unfortunately, it only gets us so far. Um, so if we look at ways that we can grow this, whether it's in the oceans or elsewhere, maybe it's direct air capture to remove it uh, from the atmosphere with big uh, turbines basically pulling uh, carbon through and out of the air. Um, don't know if that's economical yet, but we'll see. That would be a real win if we could get to something like that. Uh, not just getting a handle uh, on our emissions today. Uh, imagine for you know all of the roughly 40 gigatons of carbon that we pump into the atmosphere every day, we got half or all of it removed. Uh, but also maybe even resetting the clock on emissions to pre-industrial times. What if we could roll things back and remove all the excess carbon that we've uh, we've put up into the, the atmosphere? Uh, it's really, really essential that we get serious about creative solutions, especially anything that removes and sequesters this thing that is causing such an existential threat. You've mentioned the need to build scientific consensus. How does something like that even work? Well, there's so many things that we don't really even know about how our own planet works. Uh, you know, the vast majority of the oceans have never been explored. Uh, and of the parts of the oceans that Someone at some point in human history has traveled across uh, for the vast majority, but not a single person has ever put a finger in beneath the surface uh, or felt and observed what was underneath. Uh, you know, there's only so many places uh, we've, we've done, you know, targeted experiments to map out what's in the depth. Um, so our understanding of the phenomena, the physics and the kinetics and the uh, complex interplay of pressure and temperature and density, and boy, there's so many other things, and microorganisms, um, a lot of it is just very simple, simple models and assumptions that we're making. So if we want to have a better understanding of not only how these systems are going to change over time, uh, their significance in our daily life, but also 
what climate change itself will do to them and how they may actually affect climate change, uh, we need to engage in some targeted rigorous experiments. Uh, so, for example, doing a trial in a technology like ocean fertilization, that thing that I mentioned uh, that was done in Haida Gwaii about a decade ago, um, it could be an essential way to establish uh, more rigorous, more effective baselines uh, to address some of these complex questions about the uh, biogeochemistry. And that's a mouthful of a word uh, at play in, in the oceans today. Um, but we wouldn't just be testing whether the results of limited past trials could be replicated. We'd also be making unprecedented advances in fields like oceanography. And that sort of credible, trustworthy investigation needs to be done. Geoengineering makes people nervous. There are good reasons it makes people nervous, because if we don't know what we're messing around in, we can create lots of unintended consequences. But it's also essential that we do something. It's not like we've been doing nothing to these systems. Our whole life is premised on massively manipulating and uh, interfering in the natural functions of the planet. And if we want to find a way to live sustainably and have health and prosperity and well-being for not only humans but all living creatures, then we absolutely need to push to the limit what we're willing to try. Mm -hmm. And one more question, Margareta. How can people support efforts to fight climate change? Well, let me offer a short answer here. I think everyone needs to have an openness to solutions, like I said, that match the scale of how much we are already changing. A small tweak here and a little tweak there, they're not going to fix the problems that, that we're creating. And anyone who tells you a sustainable lifestyle is a homestead in the woods, and it's a long commute in your nice little uh, zippy BMW to work in the city every day, uh, that, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. And if they're saying that to you, they're totally out to lunch. Um, you know, we need to live in denser cities. We need to uh, make decisions to fund technologies and research and development that could get us out of this problem. Um, but we also need to work to collectively not allow panic to dictate our path forward. There is cause for concern with things like climate change uh, and, like I mentioned, plastics and uh, many, many uh, other resource use questions. But I really do believe that human ingenuity will save us. We just need to ensure that we're not going straight to the easy solutions, easy solutions that will only make the problem worse. Mm. Well said there, Margareta. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You have a good weekend. You too. Take care.